All right, this morning we're going to take a break from the book of Acts. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm going to read uh, in your hearing this morning verses 12 through 34 as we reflect uh, for a few moments on the resurrection. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul. It says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if also, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in its own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead if the dead are not raised at all? Why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. This is the Word of God. Thanks be unto God. Let's pray. Father, we ask You this morning, by the power of Your Spirit, we ask You to come, and we ask You, Lord, to dwell among us, and we ask You to speak to us, to teach us, Lord, as all of us sit under the authority of Your Word. We pray, Lord, that You would do that work by the power of Your Spirit, that You would make us more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in every way. We pray that we would leave this place, Lord, rejoicing in the good news of the resurrection and what it means for our lives. So bless us this morning as we think for a few moments on Your Word, we pray in Your name. Amen. I used to be a, a huge boxing fan, and uh, one of my favorite movies was Rocky, uh, particularly part one and two. And in Rocky II, of course, there is a, the famous match between the, the two fictional characters, uh, Apollo Creed and, uh, and Rocky Balboa. 
And in that match, having fought a back and forth battle, the two boxers, are, they knock each other down at the same time. And if you know the movie, they, they're both struggling to get up before uh, the referee counts them out. And as they're struggling to get up, the referee is counting five, six, seven. And for dramatic effect, the movie is in slow motion at this point. And before he's counted out, Rocky's able to get up and Apollo is not. And everybody in the building goes crazy because Rocky, this nobody from the world's viewpoint, has defeated the champ. This nobody got up and the champ fell down. This nobody got up and those who were with him, who were on his side, got to participate in the joy of his victory. Well, Rocky is just a movie and the characters are fictional. The story, while rooted in some real occasions where the nobody wins out over the somebody, is just that. It's a story. But there's another story, <laughs> a story we are celebrating this morning, a story where a nobody from the world's point of view got up. Only he didn't get up off a mat in a boxing ring. No, this story says that this one got up out of the grave. And in doing so, he didn't just defeat another human being. No, this story, the story of this nobody from the world's viewpoint defeated the thing that because of our sin, our wrongdoing holds every human being under its power. The story that we are celebrating today, the story that we are celebrating today says that this one got up defeating death itself. And because he got up, his people, all those who are on his side, who have put their faith in him, are today sharing in his victory and are awaiting the day when the final reward of that victory will be theirs. A new heaven, a new earth, where death and all that flows from them is no more. This one got up, and because he did, the story of all of us who have put our trust in him has changed. The true story, brothers and sisters, that we are celebrating today is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus from the grave. He is risen, people of God. He is risen indeed. And he wants all of us this morning to rejoice in and to rest in that truth for all that we believe about the gospel makes sense only in light of that truth. This is the point that Paul wanted to drive home for his listeners in his day and to us who are listening today. Somehow, some of the Christians in Corinth had misunderstood or, or misconstrued the apostles' preaching about the resurrection. Some in Corinth were in fact saying that there was no resurrection from the dead. They, were, they, they, they weren't saying that Christ hadn't been raised from the dead. Paul makes it clear that they, that they believed the gospel that he preached, which means they believed in Christ's resurrection from the dead. However, however, when it came to everyone else, they said no. But it's important even to understand what their no meant because they weren't saying that there was no life after death. What they appear to have been saying was that there was no bodily life after death. Yes, we live on, but not in the body. 
And they had likely picked up some of the philosophy that was swirling around in their day that looked at the material world as something that we needed to be rescued from, something that we needed to escape from. But Jesus' very act of taking on our humanity, of being born physically into this world, said that our full humanity, body and soul, our bodily existence in this world matters. He did not come to destroy our humanity or our material existence, but to deliver us fully as human beings from sin and death, the sin and death that corrupted us and corrupted His good creation. The resurrection of Jesus was God's declaration that sin and death and all that flows from it would not have victory over His good creation, would not undo His work of making us His image bearers in that good creation. No, in Christ, God would make all things new, was making all things new, and had secured that work through the body of resurrection of His Son and our Lord Jesus from the dead. The resurrection, brothers and sisters, is the guarantee. It's the guarantee of a new heavens. It's the guarantee of a new earth and of new bodies that are fit for that new world. And so I say to you today, don't let the foolishness of the philosophies of this world deceive you. Any philosophy that diminishes our humanity, that tells us that, we, that what we do in and with our bodies doesn't matter, that philosophy is a lie. And any philosophy that tells us that what we do in and with this world doesn't matter, that philosophy is a lie. Jesus was raised from the dead bodily. And because of this, we have a greater blessing ahead of us those of us who have our faith in Him. Because of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, we have a new heavens and a new earth coming where death no longer has any place. And so from this text, I just want to share a few aspects of those greater things that are ours because of Christ's resurrection from the dead. What is, what is ours because He was raised from the dead? Well, first of all, brothers and sisters, we have a greater hope. We have a greater hope. In verse 19, Paul completes a list of conclusions that would have come about if there was no resurrection from the dead. And he writes this in verse 19. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What does Paul mean? If the gospel, the gospel that tells us that Christ was raised from the dead, that our sins are forgiven that death has been defeated, if that gospel is only true for this life, we are to be pitied above all people in this world. Why? Well, we are be to be pitied because we know that the full experience, pay attention to my words closely here, the full experience of the forgiveness of our sins and the defeat of death awaits the life to come. Indeed, Paul's very letter to the Corinthians is an indication of the not yet, the not yet aspect of what God has done for us in the gospel of His Son. What do I mean by not yet? Well, in seminary, we, we would speak about the already and not yet aspects of the kingdom of God. There are benefits of the kingdom that are already bearing fruit in this world and already bearing fruit in our lives. Already. Paul in his letter, though, has uncovered that things are not yet fully 
what they will be when the full blessing of the resurrection of Christ from the dead breaks into this world at His return. From personal disputes, to factions, to marriage breakdowns, to worship disputes, to theological disputes. And the point is that the full experience of the forgiveness of our sins and the defeat of death in this life are not experienced as fully as they will be in the new heavens and the new earth. We have been set right with God. Our sins are fully forgiven in Him, and yet we still in this life experience the disruption of fellowship with God because of our sin, don't we? We've been set free from the dominion of death, and yet our, our body tells us in so many ways that it will not last forever. We have been set right with each other, and yet we continue to wound each other, don't we, daily? We've been free from death. And yet we see the reality of death in the world every day in sickness and violence and manifestations, other manifestations of death in this world. We all know it, that right alongside our great joys are great sorrows as well. And the resurrection tells us that God did not create the world for sorrow. <laughs> he did not create the world for sorrow. And the resurrection is His declaration that He will not leave it in sorrow. We have a greater hope than what is in this life only. Indeed, we are not to be pitied because what we are awaiting is something far more joyous, far more glorious, far more beautiful, far more satisfying, far more restful than anything that this world can hold out to us. Indeed. It's that greater hope that is set before us, that, is, that, that allows us to endure the mixed bag reality of life in this world. <laughs> and it's that hope that makes our joys in this world so much more joyful because we know that a day is coming where joy will be unending. I love seeing the expression of God's resurrection, empowered goodness done by His people in this world toward each other and toward our neighbors. Why? I love it because I know that it is that resurrection goodness that is going to outlast the evil that is in this world. We have a greater hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and we are not to be sorrowed over, nor should we sorrow over ourselves as if there is nothing more ahead of us. We are the inheritors of a great hope that will outlast the remnants of death that is in this world. God has given you something better, and that better is coming because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And so where do we need to be reminded of that? Where do, where, do, where do we need to be reminded of that greater hope that we have because of the resurrection? Perhaps it's in your relationship with other believers. In Paul's letter, he addresses a number of divisions that existed in the church. Christians in Corinth weren't, weren't vibing with each other. <laughs> they weren't on the same page. There was division. There was division rooted in sinful pride and theological disputes. There was sexual immorality in the church. There were legal conflicts. There was ethnic superiority. There was socioeconomic superiority and the like. As believers, we wound each other at times. And there are times when our divisions are pronounced. How are we going to work 
through the mess and muddle of that. Well, Paul didn't think that theology, the theology he was laying down for the church would just be a matter of, of intellectual speculation, right? The reality of the resurrection is meant to have very real practical impact on how we deal with each other in the here and now. The resurrection and the hope of a world made new that it holds out to us is meant to help us in those very thorny and messy conflicts that we have in the here and now. We are resurrection people. Did you hear me? We are resurrection people. And so to believe in the hope of the resurrection should, through the power of the Holy Spirit's work in us, give us the ability to do that work of repentance that moves us toward healing in those divisions I just mentioned. If we can't say we have wronged someone and then work to put that right, to put right what we've broken, then we might want to ask ourselves if we are actually living in light of the resurrection hope. Because the hope of the resurrection is meant to give me power to repent. It's also meant to give me the power to forgive. When someone has repented, when, when they are doing the work of putting things right, then I am called as a believer to access that resurrection power that has been given to me in Christ and to forgive those who have wronged me. And so the, re- the hope of the resurrection is meant to fuel how we relate to each other in the here and now. And if the hope of that resurrection, if the hope of the resurrection holds out to us is real, then it's meant to refuel our repentance. It's meant to fuel our forgiveness. Now, apply this to every other place in our lives, and the point is the same. The hope of the resurrection should enable us to press into those places of sin and death through the power of the Spirit to work righteousness. It's not just about what's coming, it's about how what's coming is meant to fuel what you're doing right now in your relationships with each other. We have a greater hope because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We also have a greater King. We also have a greater King. Paul writes, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That last enemy to be destroyed is death. We've all seen the impact of poor rule. We've all seen the impact of poor rule. We've seen it. We've seen what happens when leaders lead out of their own sin. We've seen the ways that death physically and spiritually manifests itself through poor rule. Some of us have seen this poor rule in the church where leaders charged with protecting Christ's flock have proven themselves to be hirelings, standing with the powerful over against the powerless, pridefully squashing any who dare challenge their rule and their authority. Some of us have seen this in the world's rulers as they promote agendas that oppress, silence, and exploit their citizens. Some of us have seen this in our families 
where fathers, husbands charged with demonstrating Christ's own example of servant leadership choose the wickedness of their own sin instead and destroy their families as a result. Some of us have seen it in abusive parents who abuse and demean to secure their children's obedience, and we have seen it in other ways that I have not mentioned. And these poor examples of rule cause us to long for something better, long for something more satisfying, long for something more just. Paul and his companions certainly lived under oppressive rule in Rome, and some of them would come face to face with that oppressive rule, and they would give their lives under that oppressive rule. So it's no surprise that when Paul thinks of the resurrection of Christ from the dead, he connects it to another great blessing we have in that resurrection. You see, the resurrection of Christ from the dead means a new king has been installed. It means that Psalm 2 has come to reality, where the psalmist says, and for me, I have set my king on Zion's hill. And I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your, inher- your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession, and you shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in your way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. (laughs) Blessed are those who take refuge in him." (laughs) You see, the rule of the kings of this world, of the leaders of this world, is temporal. It's temporal. It's temporary. It will not last. And even in the temporalness, it is subject to Christ's authority. (laughs) Because even now, the king has the authority to raise up, and the king has the authority to tear down, to subdue, and to restrain. And it is this truth that gives us great hope in this life and great longing for the world to come. Our king, King Jesus, is at work even now putting all of his and all of our enemies under his feet. The rulers of this world don't control our destinies. I'm going to say that to you again. The rulers of this world, the leaders of this world, do not control our destinies. Remember, the lords of this world have a Lord. Remember that whoever has been given authority over you has an authority over them who sees everything which means you can take your troubles, (laughs) troubles created by those lords, to the Lord of all the earth, and you can plead your case. I I wish I was talking to somebody who knew who the Lord was. You can plead your case before the Lord, and you can say to the Lord, here I am. Here's the trouble that I am under. Here's the oppression that I am enduring. Here's the anger that I'm having to deal with. Here is the, here's the abuse that I'm having to deal with. Here, here, here's the situation, Lord, and I'm laying it at your feet because you say, cast all my cares on you because you care for me. So I'm bringing my trouble to the Lord of all 
all the earth and I'm asking you to rule. I'm asking you to judge. I'm asking you to deal with what is going on. And, and somebody in her knows that when you plead your case before the Lord of all the earth, he hears you and he answers you and he comes to your aid. The ground of that greater hope is that the day is coming where all the rulers of this world will bow down to the king of all the earth. And that king, when he has subdued all his and our enemies, will hand back to the Father his world, free from all the injustice and all the ungodliness that has been unleashed in his world by those rulers. And so imagine now, imagine now, if you will, the freedom of a people who actually believe that. Imagine, if you will, the freedom of a people who actually believed that the world belongs to God and that the day is coming where the king will deliver his world back to God as it was intended to be. <laughs> imagine the freedom of that people to act in this world for righteousness, to act in this world for what makes for good, to act in your families for what makes for good, to act with your neighbors for what makes for good, to act in your jobs for what makes for good, to act in every place in this world for what makes for good because you know that the rule of the King of Kings is coming. <laughs> Amen, people of God. So where do you need to remember that this morning? What do you need to remember this morning in light of the resurrection that you have a greater king? For some of you, it is at work. Those whose authority you work under, because of some evil that you have seen, has left you frustrated and disappointed and maybe even questioning if you're in the right place. In the midst of your frustration, your disappointment, and questioning, you want to lash out in anger. You want to judge. You want to condemn. But let Paul's words be an encouragement to you. Instead, to know that God sees you in that place and that He will give you the strength to do what is right, even if it means challenging some aspect of the poor rule you see being exercised. For some of us, it is in our family relationships. The servant leadership that God intended to be exercised by parents and husbands and elder family members has been replaced by self-serving, abusive, manipulative, angry, vindictive actions. I've been a pastor. I've been a pastor for a minute now. And I have no, I have no uh, naive illusions about some of the things that can go on even in believing households. And so in such cases, in, in such situations, I should say, believing in our greater King and His ultimate authority over our lives is key to confronting our own personal sin and confronting that corporate sin that we often see in our family relationships. And confronting it, watch this, with hope that our King can subdue hearts, can turn them in the direction of the repentance and faith that He calls us toward, and can give us the resurrection power to submit ourselves and all of our actions to Him. The resurrected king is ruling, and that rule includes our individual lives. 
in the individual circumstances of our lives. And I have to believe, I have to believe it on that individual level, and I have to believe it on that greater societal level as well. How else can we face down the injustices of society if we don't believe in our greater king and in his power to subdue all of his and our enemies? And so the resurrection gives us hope, the hope of knowing that even now Jesus is ruling to subdue the wicked and unjust rule in this world until the day when he returns and puts all authority once and for all under his feet. How in the world else did the people of God in that day, how were they able to sit under and to, and to work under and to live under the oppressive rule that they were under in that day. You know how? Because they believed that their king had been installed on the right hand of the Father and that he was even now ruling and reigning over their lives. And that freed them up to actually act in every single space of their life, to act with righteousness and justice and goodness because they knew who was really and truly reigning over all the earth. Amen, people of God. And so we have a greater hope. <laughs> we have a greater king. And last but not least, we have a greater driving purpose for our lives. We have a greater driving purpose in this life. Paul writes this. He says, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, my pride, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame." Now, I don't want to spend too much time on the baptism of the dead here. Suffice it to say uh, that scholars have disagreed on what they think Paul is referring to here, the practice he's referring to. What we can say is that whatever this practice was, uh, it did not strike at the vitals of the gospel message. We know Paul well enough to know that anything that struck at the vitals of the gospel he denounced. His other letters, including this one, make that clear. So this wasn't, as some have said, a baptizing of deceased unbelievers as a way of securing salvation for them, for that would in fact strike at the heart of the gospel message. But whatever the practice was, what Paul says is that what it pointed toward was the genuine Christian hope of the resurrection. Those who were participating in this practice were doing so because they really believed in the bodily resurrection of the dead. And so those who were participating in this practice were, were, were doing so because they believed. And so Paul goes on then to note his own practice as another reason to call the Corinthians toward faith in this Christian hope. He says, I die daily. And he notes as an example of that the suffering that he endured at Ephesus for proclaiming the truth of the resurrection. In other words, Paul says, I'm giving my life every day for the proclamation of this truth. The whole driving force now of my life is to proclaim the gospel of God's Son, to proclaim that He died for our sins according to the Scriptures and was raised from the dead for our justification. I live now to preach Christ crucified, but now alive. And I live 
to proclaim that all who put their trust in Him will share in that resurrection from the dead. It is as if Paul were giving them a forecast of something he would say in another letter that he was going to write to them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, he says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. The driving force of Paul's whole life had changed because of the resurrection. It had changed. And I want to tell you this morning that ours is meant to change as well. Paul ends this section, 1 Corinthians 15, with a rebuke. But it's not meant to be a harsh rebuke, but one that encourages the Corinthians to stop living for themselves, to stop letting the ideologies of this world, as it has set itself against God, drive them. Wake up, he says, in essence. Stop living like the now does not matter. Stop living like today does not matter. Stop living like tomorrow does not matter. Stop living as if all this is is, is, is an opportunity for you to eat, to drink, and to be merry. Stop living for your own comfort. Stop living for your own security. Stop living for yourself. Wake up, he says in essence, and stop living like the now doesn't matter, like it's just a playground for our own enjoyments. The resurrection is real, so live like it's real. Don't live like there is no tomorrow. Live because there is one. Live because He did get up. Live because He did conquer death. Live because your sins are forgiven. Live because the world will be made new. Live because the darkness is passing away. Live because the light is dawning. Live because He lives. And tell the world. And tell the world. Because He lives. I can face tomorrow (laughs) because He lives. All fear is gone. (laughs) Because He lives, I know He holds the future, (laughs) and life is worth the living (laughs) just because He lives. The whole driving force of Paul's life changed. I die daily, he says, because of what I now know is coming for all of those who have their faith in Jesus. So I'm going to live like the now matters. (laughs) I'm going to live like today is important (laughs) because it is. And so I just want to close by asking you that question. Where does this truth free you to lay down your life in this world? Where, where, Where might you, like the Corinthians, be leaning more into that eat, drink, be merry philosophy of life? The call here is to examine ourselves, 
to, to look at the driving purpose of our own lives and to ask ourselves, is it Christ or something else that is really driving me? Is it my, is it, is it my own comfort that drives me? Is, is it having everything I want? Is it, is it not worrying about money? Is it being well-fed and, and well-dressed and, and, and well-entertained? If so, I will likely use most of my time and my resources in that direction and convince myself that after all, I have a right to that comfort because I work hard. I deserve to focus on me. But the resurrection calls me to something greater, calls me to live not for myself, but for the glory of God and for the good of those around me, not to the neglect of myself, but in generosity and care and compassion toward others, calls me to bear testimony to the generosity I've received from the Lord Himself so that others might see Him and turn toward Him. So, brothers and sisters, I would encourage you, examine your own life and ask, is, is, Christ, is, is it Christ? Or is it something else that's driving me, driving my sense of purpose in this life? And in fact, ask Christ Himself to examine you. And through the power of the Spirit, ask Him. Where you, where, where you find yourself falling short, ask Him. Christ, make yourself more important to me than these other things so that I might give myself for you, so that I might so that people might actually see the resurrection power at work in me and give praise to you who has been raised from the dead and put their hope in you as Savior and Lord. Christ, brothers and sisters, is risen from the dead, and His resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. We who have our hope in Him, because of His resurrection from the dead, we have a greater hope, we have a greater King, we have a greater driving purpose. May Christ, may Christ, may Christ through the power of the resurrection, may empower you to believe the things that you have in Him and look in hope to the day when we will share fully in that resurrection life in the new heavens and the new earth. Because here's the good news, it's coming because of what Jesus did. Amen, people of God. Amen. 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 Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray in the name of Your Son and by the power of Your Spirit, that You would be at work in Your people. Give them, give them faith and the greater hope that they have, the greater King that they have, the greater driving purpose that they now have for their lives. All of us, God, all of us together, give us faith in that, to believe in the resurrection of the dead and Your resurrection from the dead, and to know that because of it, the new heavens and a new earth is coming. So help us to live now in light of that reality, we pray in your name. Amen.